Humanizing History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, what they hated, who they loved, and other less-known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we are all human and make mistakes. But that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. And welcome to Humanizing History. This is one of your hosts, Nick Downey. And this is your other host, Cliff Boone. And welcome back to our two-week break that turned into three months. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 we've had a lot of things happening. We've had sickness, we've had vacations, we've had... Life. Yeah. Let's be honest, we were a little burnt out too. A little burnout. Yeah. But I, I think I think we're in a good spot now. I'm I'm excited to get back. I've been listening to a lot more podcasts lately going, oh, I missed this a little bit. So, yeah. So how was your summer? How were the last few months for you, Cliff? Summer's been overall pretty well. We're, you know, in the process of trying to move states. So we've been back and forth to the state we're looking at, which is very far away. But it's been good. We, we've seen a lot of places we're interested in. And we're excited to, you know, take this leap and... And dive into a you know the next chapter in our life. How about you? This summer has been full of a lot of different things. So started a new job a little bit before we stopped the podcast, um, but that really ramped up the summer. So I've been really busy with work, but in a good way. Family's been you know doing really well. Just kind of been hanging out. Unfortunately, we all caught COVID a few weeks ago because I know we were talking about maybe getting started up again, and then we got hit with the COVID bug over at our house. So that stopped things for a little bit, but. Uh, Within the last three months, I have both started and stopped a new podcast, um, so that I, I started one about weird news stories, and it was fun. I listened to the first episode. I really liked it. Yeah, it, it was it was fun. I, I you know I may do it again. It would just life just got too crazy. Yeah. Um, at that point, work was kind of slow, so like I was literally recording during work, and now it's so busy that I can't think about anything but work. So just to haven't had the time, but uh, I have also started streaming. Uh, so I am on Twitch. So if anybody wants to watch me stream, uh, it, my handle is spicy Nick chicken. And we will put a link in our show notes yes, for that. Yes, we will. Um, yeah, it, that's been a really fun side project and uh, come check it out. Come have some fun. Right now I'm going through a game called Call of the Sea, which is a puzzle game, but I'll also play other multiplayer games and things like that. But it's been fun, so I'm excited to see where, uh, I guess, not New Year, I guess we're still in August, but I'm excited to see where, what happens with the podcast and other ventures and stuff. You got anything going on? or Not really, just more of the same, Yeah, you know, other than trying to figure everything out with them with moving. Yeah, that, that, that's a job in itself. It is, and I've never done this. I'm born and raised here, so yeah. I've never really moved out of state. Which is nuts, because between the age of 18 and 30, I moved... What was the final count? I think it was 18 times. Oh my gosh. I moved out of state. So I moved interstate, let's see, once, twice, three, four times I moved either in or out of state. Yeah, so I kind of envy you that you haven't moved much. <laughs> yeah, but you have experience, so now you know That's true. the ins and outs of it. I, I'm totally lost. Yeah. So and Mandy's been here, my wife's been here for, uh, geez... 
22 years or 24 years, something like that. So she's really never done this as an right. adult. So right. That's how my wife was when we moved to Colorado the first time. Like she, she was born and raised here. She really never even left a small little piece of Phoenix. Yeah. So it's 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 fun. You'll learn a lot. Like well, we're excited. I'm. I mean, I'm totally apprehensive and scared about it because mm-hmm. it's a new thing I've never done. Yeah. And I know Phoenix. You know, right. if there's an accident here, I know five ways to get around right. it. Uh, yeah. The state we're going to, I I don't know. Yeah, and the the nice thing though is if it doesn't work out in the other state, you can always come back. Like, Mandy said it when we leave, she's not coming back. So really, Amanda hates Arizona. <sighs> I, so. I still like Arizona. So we well, okay, we love Arizona. We hate Phoenix. See, so I like <laughs> the the greater you know Phoenix, Surprise, Scottsdale, Mesa, yeah. the whole metro area. We're just and I, and I can see I can see the burnout there. Yeah. Um. We, for kicks and giggles, have been uh, looking at uh, going out east. Uh, so we, for some reason, move? not no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, all of a sudden, Bethany started talking about wanting to go and visit Arkansas. And I don't know if you've ever like looked at pictures of Arkansas. It's absolutely beautiful. And so I was like, well, Cliff and Mandy are moving to you know Montana. Let's see what it would be like to move to like Little Rock, dude. It is cheap as dirt out there but beautiful the houses out there are absolutely gorgeous i have a buddy of mine that's looking at moving right now actually to arkansas yeah and he showed me some pictures it's beautiful mm-hmm. it really is yeah. nice and when he told me that i'm like hey well that's a place we wouldn't mind living you know mm-hmm. so we went and looked and yeah that pricing for houses is like nothing yeah it's we nothing. could sell our house here and buy a house there oh, easily yeah. with a hundred thousand left over uh-huh straight so, up cash it'd be so nice yeah and get some land too yes mm-hmm so I don't think it'll ever happen, but that's been kind of the joke around the house. So when we move to Arkansas, so well, one of you guys gonna have to act like a sibling if you move there, though. <laughs> oh jeez. We're moving to Arkansas. This here's my sister wife, <laughs> and I don't mean I have multiple. She's actually my sister and my wife. <laughs> uh, anyway, going into way. you know incest uh, does not transition well into <laughs> what we're gonna talk about today. Well, before we do that, I do have to say one thing. Tomorrow, we're recording August 10th. Yep. Tomorrow is Amanda and my 19-year anniversary for when we started dating. So we started dating 19 years ago tomorrow. That's nuts. Yeah. That's like more than half my life. Yeah. Well, we've spent more time with each other than we have without now. She hasn't murdered you, so that's yet, good. Yet. Yes. Despite her trying, mm-hmm. I've developed a... Uh, Quick reflexes? Well, well, not quick reflexes. I, I think I'm quicker than her, but I've developed a uh, an immune response to the poison she's been giving me, <laughs> so now I'm just stronger than ever. So the, the little bits of anthrax and ricin, just it's built up. I have an immunity now. So my wife absolutely loves the show Forensic Files and okay. just binges it like crazy. And uh, the joke is, is like... Does this drink taste weird? Because they... Have you ever heard ethylene glycol, I think? Antifreeze. Mm-hmm. I feel like half of those episodes, it's like, an antifreeze ended up being the cause of... <laughs> so. Well, see, now antifreeze has bitterant in it. That's true. That's true. But so. back when Forensic File... Like, gee, we're watching episodes from like the 80s and 90s. Yeah, like, I, I used to watch yeah. the early 90s ones. Yeah. So. Well, so that's how people used to get rid of cats in their neighborhood. Really? I'm serious. They would put uh, cat food out and put antifreeze on it because it didn't have a taste. So cats would end up just, you know... Poof, they're gone. Yeah. It's because people were feeding them antifreeze. 
So because of that, and I'm sure because people were being murdered with it, they yeah. put a bitterant in it now. Well, then so they've they talked about that on the show that they uh, that they've added the bittering agent now, so people don't. <laughs> you know, they Fun also stuff. put bittering agents on uh, Nintendo Switch games so kids don't swallow them. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess they're small. But mm-hmm. I know they put bitterant in the uh, dusters also. So that all the people getting high off the whippets or whatever they are, they, they nice. at least they have a bad taste in their mouth now. <laughs> oh wow! It, it definitely shows that we have not uh, recorded in a while because we are just talking and yeah. <laughs> well, Nick and I also haven't seen each other for a while. Yeah, because when we were gonna start recording, then I got sick. Yeah. So it's been a long time. It since has we been. hung out. So anyway, we'll, we'll get back. Let's to the let's topic get into now. the show. So not having to do with anything we've talked about so far, we are going to talk about. Mother Teresa today. Okay. I don't think I've ever heard anything bad about her. So, for the longest time, you just, you know, whenever you hear about Mother Teresa, all you hear is good. Yeah. My thought was, no, she was a great person. But the last couple of years, especially doing research for this show, a lot of times I'll, who's, who has a, a dark past or who has this and that? And her name will pop up here and there. And going through this, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, it's all a lot of it's speculation or criticism, okay. um, and a lot of it has come out after her death. So I don't know, and we can talk about it towards the end. I wouldn't say she was evil, but there's definitely ways that you can kind of be like, well, she really is great of a person. It's, it's going to come out she's like some crazy racist and like believes in <laughs> eugenics and stuff. Not that bad, but okay. there are some beliefs that I think in today's world are negative. But when you have a religious background, there's things that your religious self believe that the secular world may not. And gotcha. So she could maybe see be seen as evil. And or... she didn't die too long ago, did she? Ninety eight. That's not too not long. Not too long ago. Okay. So within cool. our lifetime. But uh, so today's episode is we're gonna go through her life and then go we're, we'll take a break after we're done talking about her life. And then the back end is gonna be these these criticisms that have come out since she after she died. Because most of them came out um, after she died for a specific reason. We'll, we'll talk about that. Cool. So let's hop in. On August 27th, 1910, Agnes Bohaxio was born in Skopje, Macedonia. I know I probably butchered her middle and last name and probably the city in Macedonia that she was born in, <laughs> which is really bad because it's actually the capital of Macedonia or that region now. I couldn't tell you where Macedonia is, Nick, so that's I think it's Eastern European, but it is, I'm fairly certain it is European, but I could be wrong. Anyway, today we know Agnes as Mother Teresa, and we'll talk about in a little bit how she got that name. In the Catholic Church, her now official title is Saint Teresa of Calcutta. So she is a saint. Okay. She was born to two Albanian parents, Nicola and Drenophile. So they were just super white? (laughs) What? Well, Albanian, my mistake. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, albino. <laughs> now you get it. I get it. Wow. Uh, no, Albanian, you, you dimwit. <laughs> anyway, her, her parents were both devout Catholics, and Teresa was raised in this manner. Even though her name is Agnes in her, her early life, I'm just going to refer to her as Teresa, just so we don't get any confusion there. Perfect. So, you know, obviously this is how she developed her religious views and her religious convictions is that that was just the environment she was raised in. Her father was a hardworking man that provided for the family. 
Uh, he was actually an entrepreneur. He worked in con- or as a contractor within construction, uh, and he was also a grocer. And it's believed that he actually owned possibly grocery stores or some sort of man- not manufacturing, uh, some way of selling merchandise. So okay, Nicola, as mentioned, uh, you know, was a strong man of God, and he was heavily involved in the local church. He also was very involved in the local political scene as well. Nicola was involved in the city's politics and actually was a proponent of the independence of Albania, which whenever there's independence involved, there's always some conflict there. Of course, yeah. So as we'll see fairly shortly, that played a huge role in Teresa's life. However, from the looks of it, Teresa was born into a good yet average 1900s family. A God-loving, God-fearing family, hardworking father, and a mother that looked after her. So her family wasn't anything crazy, wasn't anything nor you know out out of the norm from the beginning. So cool. Yeah. Okay, sounds normal enough. Yeah. Unfortunately, in 1919, when Teresa was only eight years old, a tragedy would strike the family. Her father became extremely ill and passed away. Now, his official cause of death is unknown, but it is believed that he was actually poisoned by a group that opposed his political views. Was it with antifreeze? It may have been with... Actually, wow, I didn't even think we were going to talk about... You know, I didn't even think there was going to be a connection to, to Forensic Files. But yes, they believe that he was killed because of his, his political beliefs, mostly because of the Albanian independence. Okay. Which you and I know. That's... Who were they... Um... Attached to Macedonia, who ruled. Okay, yeah. all right. So after her father's death, as you would probably expect, uh, she became really close with her mom. Although the family was not rich, her mother was known throughout the city as a very compassionate and charitable woman. Uh, Drena instilled, you know, this idea of charity within Mother Teresa. I don't know why I said Drena and Mother Teresa because it's kind of weird referring to a daughter and a mom and calling the daughter mother. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, uh, so at a very young age, Teresa was in this this idea of charity was instilled into Teresa. In fact, her mother had an open invitation to the poor of the city to just come and dine at their home. That's amazing. Christ would, would want that from right, anybody. Exactly. And I, the thing that I thought was more crazy was she is herself a widow, so probably not breaking you know breaking in much money. But she's still willing to provide for others. That's amazing. Most people would see her as the one that needed, you know, help. So Drana told Mother Teresa, My child, never eat a single mouthful unless you are sharing it with others. Obviously, this was something that she was teaching Teresa. All, all sorts of individuals would dine with Teresa and her mother. On one occasion, the daughter asked her mother who was eating with them. And Drana replied, Some of them are our relations or relatives. But all of them are our people. She viewed everybody as equal, whether they were family or not. They are our people, and we are there to take care of them. And that's a great way to be. I, I honestly wish that I could say I was more like that. So. Oh, 100%. I mean, literally, this person, uh, Drena, this is somebody that I think society would normally look at and go, holy cow, she's the one that needs help. She's a widow. She probably isn't bringing in a lot of money and... She's letting people stay with their house, at her house, and feed, you know, and eat. And that's something I wish I did more. I know I've done it before, but it's really not that often, you know. And, you know, both of us are very religious, and this is exactly what Christ would want from us. Oh, 100%. So, regardless of how much you have, he wants you to give. Yeah. And I even think outside of the religious circles, I think it's a good trait to have. I think 
everybody should be providing for others and we'd be in a better world if we if we all did that absolutely we would be as we can see mother Teresa was raised to help and provide to for others Uh, this led to her wanting to help others throughout her entire life which really led to her future so yeah kind of you know she came from a strong household and it just got torn apart but it still felt like it was a strong household which is nuts well, her her dad may have been gone, but he obviously instilled good values in his children. His his wife, their mother, had good values, obviously, mm-hmm. and they practiced what they preached. It looks like. Yeah. So even though he was gone, you know, the morals held strong. The values were still there. That's what I hope for as a father and a husband. That like, obviously, I'd want to be around forever and be there, but having the the influence on my wife and my kids to even if I'm gone nothing changes like they're strong they're willing to help others like that just shows the the character and the i don't want to, i don't know what word i'm looking for but just this man did so many great things in such a short amount of time yeah, yeah. well he obviously made his mark exactly exactly 100 percent. okay so we're now going to go into the education and the calling of mother Teresa. during her childhood in macedonia uh, Mother Teresa went to a primary school, which was a uh, convent run. Okay, so she's getting smacked in the wrist all the time? Probably. You know, <laughs> Bible bashed all the time. And I'm going to try to say convent because I kept I kept saying covenant in my head, and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> Vampires. <laughs> They're living in a coven. <laughs> coven ring. Oh, that'd be a completely different episode. Dracula and Mother Teresa. Dude, that would be a great show. Oh man! Oh, not even no. Mother Teresa, Vampire Slayer with Van Helsing. I would totally watch that. Just him. She'd be like in a sidecar, and he'd be riding, and they'd be running around shooting Dracula. Dude, this is amazing. Let's do it. Oh jeez. Anyway, uh, so primary school, she went to a covenant. Or con- <laughs> I said I'm gonna do it. A convent run school, and then secondary school, she went to a school run by the state. Okay. During her school years, she went to the local Sacred Heart Choir and was well-known in the area for her ability to sing solos. So she was a very talented singer. When Teresa was 12 years old, her congregation made their annual trip to the Church of the Black Madonna in Lentness. Just a side note, the Black Madonna... I was trying to get, like, why do people go here? What, who, what is the Black Madonna? Um, we're not talking about like the black version of Madonna. I was gonna, it know. sounds like a crappy it's not 80s like, album. It's, you know, it's not like Beyonce or anything like that. Anyway, the Black Madonna tends to uh, refer to artwork depicting the Virgin Mary and infant Jesus as black. Okay. Um, so that's what this um, this church was all about. You know, it had it had some artwork that depicted the Black Madonna. So I believe they went there to pray and pay tribute to Mary. But I I tried to find like why people would pilgrimage to this church and everything i found now is well they all pilgrims everybody goes there now because mother Teresa got her calling and there why did she go and there I, so i kept trying to find why did she go to why did she and it, it everything just kept popping up oh because everybody goes there because of mother Teresa. and so guys i tried i looked for quite a while <laughs> and all i got is that they went and more than likely is to celebrate uh, mary and Uh, Jesus. During this trip is when Teresa felt that she was called into a life of ministry and religious dedication. 
When she was 18, she became a nun and joined the Sisters of Loretto in Dublin, Ireland. This is when she took on the name we know her by today, Sister Mary Teresa. So this is where Teresa comes from. She actually took this name after Saint, I'm going to butcher this because it's French, uh, Teresa of Lisieux. Oh, yeah. Um, so all you Catholics and French people out there, I'm sorry I butchered that. By the way, I'm not Catholic, so a lot of these things, like I am a Christian, but I'm not a Catholic, so a lot of these things that we're going to talk about throughout the episode, like part of it's I, I believe and what, what I stand in, you know, stand for in Christianity, and some of them I'm like, ooh, I don't understand that, but so I just want to preface that, that I'm coming from there. I meant to say that at the beginning of the episode, because I might have some different beliefs, but I still believe Catholicism is a branch of Christianity. So anyway, I digress. Uh, St. Therese is the patron saint of foreign missions, so it makes sense. Loss of parents, once again, also makes sense for Teresa, why she would want to be named. Uh, priests, which I thought was an interesting one. Florists. There's a saint of florists? <laughs> She's the patron saint of florists. And the sick. So if you look at the overall traits, they most of them match. Mother Teresa, very, very closely. But yeah, the look on your face is like, why would we need a patron saint of florists, right? <laughs> so again, I have no Catholic background, very similar to you. Yep. Um, I know enough to argue with people about it, but mm-hmm. that's about it. I, I didn't know there was a saint of florists. I didn't know they went that mediocre, I guess. <laughs> like, You better hope we don't have any florists that listen to this show. Uh, hey, nothing against florists. You know, people need flowers. I just, why do you need a saint for it? I don't know. Like, is there going to be a saint for car insurance next? Maybe. <laughs> I just don't understand Saint it. Flo. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> no, we go Saint Aaron, the insurance girl. Oh, yes. <laughs> I feel oh so gosh. bad for her, dude. She got... <sighs> That's one thing about our culture today is like when men or even women see somebody attractive, they like will post and crap about her. She got so, like, tormented and... She was a cartoon. Aaron? Yeah, the insurance girl. Oh, insurance. So there's Aaron. Sorry. Are you I'm... talking AT&T lady? AT&T lady. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to take a pause then for just a minute. I went and looked all this crap up. The crap that she got. She was, was People were calling her, like, mommy milkers and things like that. Like, while she's on a live, they're sitting there. It's That's nuts. Leave people alone sake like this yeah you're driving people insane i believe in free speech and i'm not going to tell you you know you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that the government should stop you from doing it i think morally it's reprehensible and i really wish people wouldn't do it yeah but my gosh come on right like i can understand you see a a, you know a cute or a beautiful woman but you don't need to like hoot and holler like would you say that to like a lot of things that are said online would you say that to her face no, of course not. If you look at this, nobody would. Nobody has the gall to do that. There may be a few cat callers out there, but the large majority of people wouldn't. And it, it's, oh, I felt it, so bad a... for her. And I'm so glad she was able. Like she went into depression and all that crap. I'm glad she's back and, and doing this. But man, just because you are an attractive woman on television gives nobody the right to to do that crap. Wow, we just went down a total tangent, <laughs> but. Uh, just because I mixed up Aaron the e-shirts girl and Aaron from AT and T, and that's why I was confused for a second. I'm like, who's sexualizing a cartoon? Car-? Well, no. <laughs> now I got to take a step back yep. now too. My we gosh, remember we society. sexualized uh, what was it? Colonel Sanders. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hell in a handbasket, dude. Oh, dude. Well, I think we're already there. All right. Well, to all two of our listeners now. Sorry for the tangent. Yep. Anyways, <laughs> uh, let's go back to Mother Teresa and her life. So, just to kind of give everybody a recap, she named herself after the patron saint of florists, <laughs> but also some other things as well. But if you look at at her life, it really matches up to Saint Teresa. Just a year later, she moved from Dublin to Darjeeling, India, uh, for her, I'm going to butcher how to say this, uh, novitate period, um, think of novice, which is basically her mission training time. Oh, so, so she's an apprentice. Pretty much. So nuns have to go through this like training, yeah, period of, of apprenticeship or training. So that's what she went there for. And there's a lot of different times and periods and stages of this Catholicism, you know, not I don't say ranking, but when you're a nun to like move up each step, there's a lot of weird, th- not weird things, but there's a lot of steps that have, you have to be taken. What were you going to say? I, I just laugh coming from a blue collar background. Not much anymore, but <laughs> I hear apprentice and I think journeyman. So yeah. then I, I just picture her. She's a journeyman saint now. <laughs> <laughs> she's like sitting there just like putting together crucifixes like... <laughs> Here, rosaries are now being beaded because she's an apprentice beater. Everybody's like making her pay for the wine. <laughs> and then she becomes a journeyman. Now she's just sitting there. <laughs> she's got a hard hat on. She's not doing anything. Laying on a broom. Oh, God. We're going to hell now. Uh, anyway, in <laughs> May... not my saint. Because <laughs> you're not a florist. <laughs> in May of 1931, Teresa would make her first profession of vows. Um... This is basically the official vows a nun takes to dedicate her life to the craft. From what I could find, it looks like nuns have to do this once a year for five years before they reach their final profession of vows. Looks like Mother Teresa may have taken a little bit longer, but from what I could tell is about five years, you do it once a year, and then you finally get to your final uh, version of it. Okay. After her first vows, she was assigned to go to Calcutta and become a teacher at St. Mary's High School for Girls. This school was dedicated to teach girls from the poorest Bengali families in the city. Teresa actually became fluent in both Hindi and Bengali with the goal of getting the girls out of poverty through education. Wow. So, well, good for her. So she was multi she was multilingual, you know, obviously she knew, I don't know, Albanian or whatever. Um, had to have known English because she was in Dublin for a while. So very smart individual. So why is she not the saint of languages? Well, I don't know. I, I, I should have checked this. I don't know what, I don't know what uh, Mother Teresa is the saint of. So we were talking about Mother Ter- or Saint Teresa, who Mother Teresa oh, was, was named was for. named for, or got gotcha. her name from. I probably should have looked in a little bit what um, Mother Teresa is the patron saint of. If you know that, let us know. Anyway, Teresa took her final profession of vows on May 24th, 1937. This meant she vowed to live a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. At this time, it was customary for nuns in the uh, Loretto group to take on the title of mother. So this is when she officially became Mother Teresa. Okay. She would continue to teach and eventually become the principal of St. Mary's High School in 1944. She spent a lot of time uh, at the school teaching and, you know, focusing in on, on the impoverished. So I imagine then 
she made a, a wage as principal, she just turn right around and give that back? I'm gonna say no to that because it was it was a covenant ran school, so it was probably part of her. It was just probably here you can here live you, here, yeah. but your you have a high now. title, you get food and all that. But I don't I don't think she just room and board kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. So that was her first calling. So I still told you that was her education calling. We're now gonna go into her second calling. And her second calling is what we really know Mother Teresa for. In September of 1946, Mother Teresa went through what she called her call within a call. Because it's, it's, you'll see it's very similar to what she was doing, um, but it, took a, it was a big change. While she was traveling from Calcutta to the foothills of the Himalayas for a retreat, she claims that Christ spoke to her and instructed her to stop teaching and begin working in the slums of the city and provide for the poor and sick of Calcutta. So Noble cause. Yeah, very noble cause. It's something that I think anybody can look upon and go, wow, that, that's awesome. But a big step. And I think you and I come from a background where if you want to do something, you can just go do it. Uh, that wasn't the case. It wasn't, uh, you know, you didn't just have a calling and go, okay, I'm redirecting. So we're going to go into the process. Like she had to go through a actual, like official process to change her calling. So due to her vows, she was unable to just, like I said, get up and leave school. In fact, she had to state her case for a year and a half to her uh, convent to obtain official permission to leave. That just sounds so backwards to me. Mm-hmm. You're begging these people to let you go to the slums. Right. Uh, to me, that just sounds so... It's not something I do. Right. But it, I mean, it just kind of shows the red tape of any sort of organization, whether it's the church, the company, you know. Government, yeah. yeah. And you got to understand, it's not like she's making money anywhere. So she needs the backing of the church or of the uh, convent. Otherwise, she's kind of screwed. Obviously, you and I both believe that if God was truly calling for her, God would have provided. Which, he obviously, there, yeah. obviously he did. Um, but it did take about a year and a half. Yeah, his time, not ours. Exactly. Finally, in January of 1948, Mother Teresa received the approval that she required to pursue her second calling. In August of the same year, she left St. Mary's and uh, the Loretto Convent to work in the city. This is also the same time that she began to wear her trademark blue and white sari. So to kind of get herself into the culture she started to wear a sari and i think whenever at least whenever i think of mother Teresa, i think of the white sari with the two blue lines on it yep, yeah. exactly i always think of a really wrinkly old woman <laughs> um at this time she probably wasn't a wrinkly old woman uh which basically she, she wore that the rest of her life like that was her signature and that's what she wore during her first six months outside of the convent she earned so she earned basic medical training at the Holy Family Hospital in Patna and adopted Indian citizenship as well. So she was going all in on this. Balls deep, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if that's an appropriate saying for a uh, a Catholic nun, but sure. It's just a turn of phrase. <laughs> Once armed with training, she ventured into the slums of Calcutta to begin her goal to help the unwanted, and this is quoted, She called them the unwanted, the unloved, and the uncared for. So that was her goal, was to take care of those people. So 
It's kind of a screwed up label for her to give him. Well, that, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's true though. <laughs> I mean, it, it is messed up, but especially in the Indian culture where they have the caste system, cast system. Dude, still to right. this day, and yeah, that blows me away. Yeah, no, that whole thing's. Oh, you're a rat. You're a rat killer. Well, or your dad was a rat killer. Well, guess what your job's gonna be? You're yeah. gonna be a rat killer. Mm-hmm. Oh, you had eight kids. Guess what they're gonna be? Rat killers. Right. And it's and yeah, they treat them like dirt. It's yeah. crazy. Anyway, the first year of her work was extremely difficult for Teresa. During that time, she had no income. She begged for food, and also doubt uh, dealt with doubt and loneliness. Um, and even considered returning to the convent. Huh. And one thing that I just got, this this episode got so long that I didn't cover. There's actually a letter that she wrote. And I, I don't exactly know when it was. But she was like doubting God. Like there was a time in her life where she's like, I just don't even know if this is real. Wow. And I think most people go through that, though. Right. I think most people that are religious, at least, go through a point where they question their beliefs. Right. But it's interesting because when you think of saints, I don't think you would think of that. Well, there's still people. Of course. I, and I'm not, I'm not doubting that. But I read that going, wow, she was like a normal person, you know. And so, and it could have very well been during this time. Um, there was just so much to cover towards the end of her life that I didn't get into that. But yeah, she did write a letter where she... Oh, that was towards the end of her life. Well, Sorry. That wasn't her, like these letters were discovered after. Oh, I thought you. Yeah. Oh, There's okay. So I was gonna say that's yeah. totally different. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, but there were doubts at times. But obviously, she kept she kept on working. Uh, she wrote in her diary the following: "Our Lord wants me to be a free nun covered with the poverty of the cross. Today, I learned a good lesson. The poverty of the poor must be so hard for them." While looking for a home, I walked and I walked till my arms and legs ached. I thought how much they must ache in body and soul looking for a home, food, and health. Then the comfort from Loretta, her former congregation, came to tempt her. You have only to say the word and all that will be yours again. The tempter kept on saying, of free choice, my God. And out of love for you, I desire to remain and do whatever be your holy will in my regard. I did not let a single tear come. Wow. So, I think that's one thing that a lot of people lose sight of when they're helping the less fortunate. is because we can go in and help them, but we don't experience it. Oh, we go back to our houses when we're done. Right. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I've done mission trips to Mexico where we help out the poor during the day and then... Hang out at Rocky Point all night. Like, we get to go to our cushy place. She's in it. Like, she 100% understands where these people are coming from. Yeah, she's living it. And and I think that allows her to help others better. So I'm kind of shocked that the church didn't help her at all. Right, especially since um, they kind of gave some her... food or something. Like, Yeah, but I guess not. And I guess she... And you sometimes I kind of wondered like was that her decision like did she feel like she would fail her mission if she went back to the convent and was like please help me? Well, I'm not even yeah. saying go back, right. but you think that if they're sending this lady to the middle of the slums, you think they'd be like, hey, here, here's a bag of apples. That's true. Like, <laughs> no, and I see where you're coming from. Unfortunately, I don't have an answer for that, but um, yeah, that's what she went through. Jeez. I mean, perseverance. She she. Definitely showed perseverance. She pursued all the way through it and 
had a great heart the whole way. Oh, yeah, for sure. And did great things. In October of 1950, the Vatican granted permission to Mother Teresa to establish a congregation in Calcutta. This is what we know today as the Missionaries of Charity. The group Teresa started to provide care for the poor and sick of Calcutta. The congregation started their work by opening a school and also by establishing a hospice-type home for those who were dying. Her team was actually able to convert an old dilapidated building that was provided to them by the government into this hospice center. Okay. You'll see this a lot, and I don't cover it too much just because of time-wise, but they took anything they could get and did whatever they could with it. And so... um, I think the and I was a little bit surprised that the Indian government was actually worked with them quite a bit. Um, they didn't give them the greatest stuff, and this one it was an old rundown house, but they were able to. It's turn better it into than not having did. a house, right? But I'm I'm still blown away that the church didn't help her out more. I'm I'm totally flabbergasted. They weren't like, hey, you're living in poverty. You took that vow, perfect, fine, whatever. But we're gonna build you know a hospital here, or yeah. we're gonna build this school, or we're gonna build a church just so you have a place right. to live and worship. Right, especially when it's the you know one of the largest organ you know churches in the, the world. In yeah, the world. but anyway, I did read that although the center, this hospice center, was run by the Catholics like Mother Teresa, uh, they would actually care for patients according to their own religions, such as Hindus being given uh, water from the Ganges close to the uh, close to their death. Uh, Muslims read the Quran close to their death. And Catholics received the extreme unction, which is basically an anointing that uh, they receive close to death. Amazing. I don't see any issue with that. Right, exactly. Teresa is quoted, A beautiful death is for people who lived like animals to die like angels, loved and wanted. Huh. So, you know, she really, even in, in their dying days, wanted them to feel like they were worth something. So... Which is, we'll talk about a little bit later. This is actually one of the areas that she was criticized for. Um, there's a twist to it. Okay. Um, and we'll talk about it. But I just kind of want to point that out. Keep that in your head about the whole uh, treating the dying uh, according to their own religion. Her congregation gained recognition both locally and abroad. The numbers of the congregation grew rapidly and they received donations from all over India and around the world. Fantastic. Which is awesome. Especially getting donations in India, because it's not a Hindu-run, it's a completely different religion. But yeah, but she's not running it as a Catholic organization. She's just out helping yep. people, and she happens to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. Which is true. Very, very true. During the 50s and 60s, Mother Teresa created a nursing home, leper colony, family clinic, an orphanage, and various mobile uh, mobile clinics. So this girl was doing everything. Any Any sort of group or... So, I don't want to say group, but any sort of need that she saw the poor and the sick having, she tried to find something. That's amazing. Which is so cool. She was able to reach thousands of people all across India with all types of issues and ailments. Uh, Mother Teresa's charity would begin to move beyond the borders of India in the 1970s. In 1971, she opened her first American house of charity in New York City. Then in 1982, during the siege of Beirut, she rescued 37 kids from a hospital on the front lines by working with Israeli army and Palestinian guerrillas to set up a temporary ceasefire. Wow, so add negotiator to the title. Mm -hmm. And, and, And let's be honest, we know how horrible the fighting between the Israelis and the Palestinians can get. We see still see that today, what, 40 years later? Yeah. 
And so we know how nasty that can be. So being able to negotiate a ceasefire, being a Catholic nun, that's nuts. Along with the Red Cross, Mother Teresa went through the war zone to evacuate the children. Later in the 80s, when Eastern Europe began to open up after the fall of communism, she began to expand her efforts into countries that had previously rejected the missionaries of charity. She was eventually able to even help uh, radiation victims from Chernobyl. Oh, wow. And also earthquake victims uh, from Armenia. Wow. Yeah. The one thing I saw that was really cool here is she wasn't jaded by countries that had originally rejected her. She accepted them with open arms and... Well, yeah, she. it seems like she doesn't seem to put blame on a group of people. She treats the individual as the individual. Right, exactly. And I think that goes back to her mom being like, they're all our people. Yeah. Regardless, which I think is really cool. By 1997, the 13-member Calcutta congregation had grown to more than 4,000 sisters who managed orphanages, AIDS hospices, and charity centers worldwide, caring for refugees, the blind, disabled alcoholics the gambit um by 2007 her charity numbered about uh 40 450 brothers 5,000 sisters worldwide and they had uh, 600 missions um shelters schools all other types of things in 120 countries and this is just the power of one person yeah she had this calling and look at all the good that she's done oh it's nuts and just because one day she received that calling and I think that just shows how much, if you put your mind to it, what you can do. Anybody. Well, obviously God was on her side, though. Right. So True. with God, all things are possible, and, and she proved it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. We'll now go quickly into her awards and recognitions. In 1965, the Pope granted the decree of praise upon the missionaries of charity, uh, which basically allowed Mother Teresa to expand this internationally uh she was also awarded the jewel of india and this is basically the highest honor that a civilian in india can receive and even the soviet union the soviet union gave her the gold medal of the soviet peace committee (laughs) which i thought was nuts i think she was also given an award um for rolling a perfect game in bowling (laughs) hell of a bowler hell of a bowler (laughs) That'd be so cool. Like, random. She got a 300. <laughs> I found this kind of interesting, too, because she had such a issue with getting into communist countries, but she was still recognized by one. And it was by the USSR? Yeah. Wow. You wonder if part of that was just, like, a PR move, but anyway, she she still got earned it, which I'm not going to take that away from her. I don't know if communists have ulterior motives, though. <laughs> yeah. Peace and love for everybody, right? <laughs> It is shocking that they gave her an award. Yeah, but also, you know, Hitler gave an award to Henry Ford. So. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, the award she is most notable for receiving was actually in 1979 when Mother Teresa was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in the recognition of her work in, quote, bringing help to the suffering of humanity. Before we go into our break, uh, I hate having to do this, but we always have to talk about someone's passing. Um, so we're going to talk about the end of her life. Uh, although Mother Teresa lived a life of helping others to health, she unfortunately suffered with health issues herself. In 1983, when she visited uh, the Pope at the time, John Paul II, she suffered a heart attack. So Wow. Mm-hmm. So she was about 73 at this point. 
Then once again, uh, six years later in 1989, she suffered another heart attack and actually uh, had a pacemaker put in as a result. Even after the pacemaker was put in, she continued to have heart problems. In 91, she had uh, pneumonia when she was in Mexico, um, which led to more complications. Uh, she even offered, this was, this next part I thought was a little bit interesting. She offered to resign as the head of the Missionaries of Charity, but the sisters voted to have her stay and she continued. Well, so she probably felt that medically she wasn't fit to right. do it. So she wanted to leave to mm -hmm. allow someone else to take reins. And, right. But they didn't want her to. So she probably wanted to stay. Yeah. But she didn't feel it was the, fair. That's probably the, the, the angle that I didn't really absorb. The angle I was is like, I want to retire. No, you can't. <laughs> the thing is, and maybe she did. I yeah. don't know her. But it yeah. just seems like from what I've learned about her today, mm -hmm. she probably didn't want to retire. She just didn't want to be a burden on yeah. them. No, that, that, that makes more sense now that you put it that way. So I bet you that's exactly what it was. Who knows, though? Yeah. So anyway, 1996 was a tough year health-wise for Teresa. This actually was really tough. A lot of things happened. She first uh, fell and broke her collarbone. Oh, that's a painful break. Yeah. Then four months later, she contracted malaria. Oh, my god! Started experiencing heart failure. Um, she did have heart surgery that year, but her health still declined very rapidly. At one point that year, the Archbishop of... I thought this was a little weird. The Archbishop of Calcutta ordered an exorcism as he believed that the devil was attacking her. Okay. Um, and then on March 13, 1997, she finally resigned as head of uh, Missionaries of Charity. And then only a few months later in September, on September 5th of 1997, she passed away at the age of 87. Wow. What a life, though. I mean, oh, 87 yeah. years is, is a damn good run for anybody. But especially somebody who's lived this life, their mm -hmm. entire life. She's lived with the poor, the meek, the sick, and she's lived 87 years. And on top of that, she lived in poor areas. She lived around sick people. Well, yeah, lepers and the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, she around AIDS. Like she, she risked her life at all times, but she still lived this long life. Obviously, there was heart, or, you know, there, there was health issues throughout her later years. But eighty-seven, that's that's incredible. It's damn good. Yeah. So at this point, we are going to take a little bit of a break. Uh, we'll come back and we're going to talk about uh, some of the titles and recognition that she earned, um, as well as some of the criticism that she garnished as well. So we'll be right back. Perfect. Stay tuned. back yes we are so before the break we discussed the uh, declining health and death of mother Teresa now we're going to go into basically what had taken place after her death um, miracles and I know that sounds weird but her miracles actually took place after her death okay as well as we're going to talk about her canonization to become a saint and we're going to go into the criticism of mother Teresa uh, for every great person, there's always a critic. Yeah, I heard she had really gnarly farts. Yeah, they were really so that bad. that was one criticism mm -hmm. people had. 
from all the curry. Oh, man. And she By the way, I love curry. Her, she never cleaned her sari, so it just lingered. It was just one, one sari. <laughs> never took it off. Slept in it for 40 plus years. <laughs> it was holy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Anywho. Anyways. So... As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Mother Teresa is now officially titled Saint Teresa of Calcutta. However, that title is not just something that's given to a good person. So there's actually a process that one has to go through to be considered a saint in the Catholic Church. So we're going to talk about how she became a saint. After her death, her followers and admirers really pushed on the Catholic Church to make the nun a saint. The wait for someone's life to be reviewed for sainthood is typically five years. You have to be a past for five years, and then the Catholic Church typically will start looking at your life if you are pushed towards it. Okay. However, due to the amount of support for her sainthood, the Catholic Church appointed a father, Father Curran Kolodichuk, to be the postulator of her case to promote her. And this was only two years after her death. Okay. So she, all that support really pushed it through. She lived a life like most didn't, so I can understand. Yeah, for sure. And we're talking about, a you know, this is probably a new age for the Catholic Church where, you know, it probably took a while for, you know, in the past for people to kind of get, acc- not acclimated, but recognized and things like that after the death. We're talking about the age of media, you know, so communication goes back and forth. We're talking about the very beginnings of the internet. So, you know, I bet you there was a lot easier way to push for, for this. Sure. Although her process was expedited... The church would not waive the requirement for two posthumous miracles to take place to be officially linked to Mother Teresa. So you just you know even if you performed miracles in life, to be able to qualify for sainthood, you had to have two posthumous miracles. Uh, hu- yeah, humus. Sorry, humorous. I always say humorous. <laughs> They're not funny. <laughs> well, they can be. Yeah. Uh, so. She- Cases of miracles started to come into the Vatican, but the Vatican needed more proof than I'm cured to be able to consider them a miracle. So the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, along with a committee of medical experts, review each significant case. The case must show that the recovery of an individual was outside of the laws of nature, had no medical or scientific explanation, and the possible saint's intercession with God is what ultimately led to the individual being cured. Okay. okay. So then is this like people who say, oh, I had uh, leprosy and I woke up Tuesday and it's totally cleared up. My scabs all fell off. And that night I had a dream that Mother Teresa came to me and said, hey, I talked to God, you're healed. Something to that extent. Okay. Uh, or praying to or using, you know, a relic or something from Mother Teresa. Okay. But yeah, you're, 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 you're on point right there. Once all those requirements are met, the Pope then has to give final approval. So the the church may, you know, the, the process may happen and they go, hey, this happened, this is a miracle. It's still kind of like the president vetoing a bill. Like the Pope is the ultimate one that goes, okay, you're approved, you are now a saint. <laughs> this picture of a giant rubber stamp, <laughs> sainthood approved, thunk, <laughs> like on her paperwork. Uh, so the first of Mother Teresa's miracles took place shortly after her death, and this was in 1998. A woman by the name of Monica Besra visited the Missionaries of Charity in West Bengal, India. Her symptoms included headaches, fever, vomiting, and a swollen stomach. 
The year prior, Monica had begun treatment for tuberculosis meningitis. Unfortunately, the medication hadn't kept the lump in her abdomen from growing larger, so she had a tumor growing. Okay. It was decided that surgery to remove the growth was required, but Monica was too weak and sick to actually go through with it. On September 5th of 1998, Bezra saw a light coming from a photo of Mother Teresa when she was praying at the chapel in the Missionary of Charity. That same day, a medallion that Mother Teresa had once touched was put onto Monica's stomach while a nun prayed to Mother Teresa for assistance. Okay. That next morning, she woke up and the tumor was gone. This was proved by the medical examinations that showed the tumor had disappeared and surgery was not required. Okay, fantastic. So, clearly a miracle. It was there one day, it was proven there one day, and the next day it was gone. Okay. Uh, After review by the medical specialist and the theologians, it was determined that uh, no known worldly explanation could be provided for her recovery. The cure was attributed to Mother Teresa's intercession because... We saw the picture and the, and the relic and things like that. This miracle was recognized in 2002 by the Vatican. In addition, this miracle led her to be beatified. Um, I, I may be saying that wrong. It's B-E-A-T-I-F-I-E-D by Pope John Paul II as Blessed Teresa of Calcutta on October 19, 2003. And then the research that I did, I found that... Uh, Beatification is when the Pope declares that this person is in heaven and that person can be prayed to uh, for them to intercede to God. Uh, So not quite saint yet, though. Not quite saint, but this person is officially in heaven and they can intercede on your part. Okay. Which, you know, I know you and I, we're, we're Protestant. We're not Catholic. So we, at least I believe that, you know, the only way to the Father is through Jesus or directly to the Father. So this has never made sense to me, uh, praying to somebody who's not Jesus or who's not God, who's not, um, you know, a deity. or. Uh, well, you, you don't need intercession with anybody else. Right. You can take your issues straight to Christ. Right. So that's one of my main issues with Catholicism. Right. Is they put saints up on this pedestal where Jesus is supposed to be. Right. Um. No hate, that's what you guys believe, hey, mm-hmm. but Nick and I don't necessarily understand it. Right. And, and I've, I've had this conversation with many Catholics, and I think that's one thing that we differ on. And that's part of the Protestant Reformation was, that was one big thing in there. Yeah. And that's one reason why Martin Luther, uh, you know, and the Lutherans reformed and, and stepped, away, stepped away from the Catholic Church. So that person that can now intercede for Christ, as we kind of said is still not considered a saint until their second posthumous miracle is performed or is proven. So Mother Teresa's second miracle did not take place until 10 years after her initial miracle. Oh, wow. So it was quite a while. She was slacking up there. I guess so. She could only intercede once every 10 years. (laughs) And this was in 2008. A Brazilian man named Marcelio Haddad uh, Andrino had an infection which caused his brain to have abscesses and fluid. Oh my gosh. So he was near death, and the worsening condition made him actually go into a coma. Okay. While he was in a coma, Fernanda, his wife, prayed to Mother Teresa. 
His wife also placed a relic of Mother Teresa, which the couple had gotten uh, when they were married, when they got married, on Marsilio's head. She said, and this was a quote from her, I recited the prayer of beatification and also what came from my heart. So she said a specific prayer and also said what was in her heart. To try and save Marsilio's life, he was going to go into surgery and get the fluid drained around his brain. However, right before the operation was about to begin, the man suddenly woke up and asked, what am I doing here? Wow. The doctors re-examined him before they went into surgery and determined that the fluid and the abscesses were completely gone and no further surgery was needed. Fantastic. So out of nowhere, once again, this is this isn't like a sudden thing. This man has been dealing with this for quite some time. As in addition to the miracle, this isn't really part of the miracle, but the medication that he was on was supposed to leave him infertile, but the couple went on to have addition to have children after that. Fantastic. So, did they look anything like the neighbor? <laughs> uh, no, but I heard the milkman was also <laughs> tall. So, <laughs> their kids were extremely tall. Just kidding. Anyways, uh, once again, it was determined by experts that there was no medical explanation for how the man was cured. And in 2015, uh, his recovery was considered a miracle by Pope Francis. And this was the second miracle that Teresa needed for sainthood. Okay. So Mother Teresa was canonized as a saint on September 4th, 2016. So not really that long ago. Yeah, that was five, five years. years ago. Almost five years ago. Uh, and a day before the 19th... It was exactly a day before the 19th anniversary of her death. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, Pope Francis led a uh, canonization mass, which was held in St. Peter's Square in, in Vatican City. Tens of thousands of Catholics uh, and pilgrims from all around the world. So we're talking maybe even Hindus or Muslims, maybe people that were affected, you know, not affected, but touched by Mother Teresa, uh, attended the canonization to celebrate, you know, person that had been called the saint of the gutters <laughs> i know weird name but that's what they called her she finally got her you know what people think of her hers the rightful place as a saint which i mean i think even if she hadn't have cleared those the miracle uh quota or whatever afterwards i still think many people would have seen her Maybe not as an official saint, but that same level just because of everything that she did. I had no idea she was a saint. Oh, you didn't? Okay. No, so I, I would have looked at her the same way I look at her now. Yeah, and, and I think most people outside the Catholic Church probably do look at her the same, you know. Because when you say Mother Teresa, everybody, no matter if you're Catholic, at least in the U.S., knows who you're talking about. They know yeah. that it's all about charity, being a good Samaritan, and things like that. So yeah. She definitely built a good name for herself. Or did she? Ooh. <laughs> so we're going to now go into the criticism of Mother Teresa. And the reason why I did this after her death is because most of this came out after she passed. Okay. Um, so as I kind of said, you know, Mother Teresa, most would look at her life as selfless and amazing. And a lot of times she is kind of the personification of selflessness. But she has critics. Uh, and the main reason why I ended up doing this episode is if you actually go onto Wikipedia, there's a whole page dedicated to the criticism of Mother Teresa. Really? So, you know, we've, we've re researched a lot of different people, and a lot of times, you know, their criticisms and things are within their own page, but there's a whole page. It's Granted, it's not a huge page, but the fact that there's its own page on Wikipedia just for the criticisms, I thought was interesting. We're just going to go through a few of the different criticisms. So the first one was, was it a miracle? 
So as we discussed, her first miracle was the healing of Monica Bezra of that tumor. However, there are many people that actually believe that it wasn't a miracle and actually the result of just modern medicine. So many critics dispute the version of events that Monica provided to the church. Some doctors claim that it was actually a cyst and not a tumor. And cysts can go away. Right, exactly. And that it wasn't necessarily a cancerous tumor, it was just a cyst caused by the tuberculosis. Okay. Prabir Ghosh, who, was, who is the General Secretary of Science and Rationalist Association of India, said, Our organization does not believe in any kind of miracle. So they don't believe that this was done by a miracle. Okay. Gosh also informed reporters that Monica's husband even sided with him when they spoke in 2003. Apparently, Gosh has Monica's husband on video saying that his wife was cured by the medicine rather than Mother Teresa. Gotcha. Okay. When interviewed by Time Magazine in 2002, Bezra's husband also questioned the Vatican's claim. It is much ado about nothing, he told the time. My wife was cured by the doctors and not by any miracle. However, since he said that, he has denied those statements multiple times. Hmm. So. Probably got a hell of a lot of backlash. Oh, I would imagine so. But we have him in Time Magazine. Very credible magazine. Apparently there's a video of him as well. Of him saying this. But now he's backing off. Hmm. I'm sure the, the second that that got out, he got so much hate from people. Oh, yeah. Because especially when you attack religion, no matter the religious group, people are going to attack you. Well, and you're not just attacking Doug the pallbearer. You're attacking Mother Teresa. Yeah. You know, this is... How could you say that? You know, yeah. things like that. Now, this wasn't necessarily a criticism of Mother Teresa. It was more of a, is she really a saint? But it 100% is. Because that's what pushed her to sainthood. Right. Okay. So, yes, it is a criticism of her, but it's not really knocking down what she did in her life. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But I, I thought that was interesting. And it's tough. You know, there are... And this is where I think the definition of a miracle is a little bit tough because I personally think that God put doctors on this planet to heal people. So what's... Just because a doctor cures something doesn't necessarily mean it's not a miracle. Sure. And that's just my personal view. Um, I think modern medicine is good. I think that doctors are good. And I think that God put doctors on this planet to, to help people. So in my mind, this could, even if even if the doctor did, if it was modern medicine, why is that not a miracle? But that's beside the point. But do you get what I'm saying? There? 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So the next one is going to knock uh, Mother Teresa a bit about her life. And this is going to go into the quality of care uh, that the Missionary of Charity provided to these poor people. Okay. Most of these reports came out after her death, but there were a few in here that happened while she was still alive. So multiple people have reported that the conditions and quality of care for the people in in Mother Teresa's organization uh, and her congregation was unacceptable. Uh, In 1994... There was an editor who was part of the uh, British Medical Journal called The Lancet. His name was Robin Fox. He actually visited the hospice center in, in Calcutta. He said that the patients received what he called haphazard uh, medical treatment. He said on multiple, you know, he saw that on multiple occasions. He saw 
sisters, nuns, volunteers with little to no sort of medical training, making medical decisions, and also providing treatment due to the lack of doctors on site. So instead of, you know, because nurses and they can't, and PAs and things, a lot of times they can't make decisions without the doctor signing off on it. What he was seeing was that these nuns, maybe some of them were nurses, maybe some of them were just volunteers, were just making medical decisions without consulting so a doctor. just to play, you know, devil's advocate here, where were the doctors? Because it sounds to me like a lot of the places they had these places, the hospital set up at, there were no doctors around, so I guess I'd rather have someone making decisions than nobody. True. But we'll go into this a little bit later. It is part of the Catholic Church. What does the Catholic Church have? Tons and tons and tons of money. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that. Why were these Why were these conditions so poor? And that's what and I was bringing up earlier. Yeah. You know, where's the backing from mm-hmm. this mega church? The, the, it's the biggest church in the world, isn't it? I believe so. I know money-wise, the Mormon church is actually pretty close, too. Really? Oh, the Mormon church is loaded. Well, of course they're loaded, but they're nearing the Catholic I church think status? Th- they're they're pretty high up there. What color? Me surprised. Um, let me. We should look that up. Uh, let's see. Net worth of Mormon church. I, I, I doubt they have the numbers. In 2022, it managed about... 2022? Sorry, 2020 managed about a hundred billion dollars in assets. Let's see what the net worth. And, and and this is just a quick Google search. I could be wrong. Ten to fifteen billion for Catholic Church. A state's more than thirty billion. That means that the Mormon Church would be richer than the Catholic Church. Now this is bankers' best guesses about yeah. the Vatican's wealth. So we don't know for sure, but. Uh, Oh, there's a Wikipedia site, list of wealthiest organizations. The Church of Latter-day Saints is, according to Wikipedia, worth $200 billion. Now, the Catholic Church is a little weird because it's it's Catholic Church of Germany, Catholic Church of Australia. Catholic, so if you add all the Vatican, Michael, what is it? Because um, if the Vatican alone is But it's still not 15. as much because Catholic Church of Germany is 26 bill, Australia is 20 bill, the Vatican's four. Now, see, this one said 15 to 30. And see, that's what's... It's tough. But still, I don't think that would add up to two... Anyway, beside the point... They got tons of money. Billions of dollars. Why are they not helping provide doctors, hospitals, staff? Yeah. So we kind of have gotten a little bit further in my my discussion. But yeah, money is going to be another one that we talk about in just a bit. So doctors weren't making these decisions. An example he provided is that there was once a patient that had a high fever being uh, treated with uh, paracetamol and tetracycline, an antibiotic, mm-hmm. only to later be diagnosed with malaria by a visiting doctor prescribing chloroquine. Oh, no. So they were completely misdiagnosing her. and. But giving... they were doing what they could. They were using the what they had. Like Agreed. But is that the right thing? And this is where the criticism comes in. These people probably would have never gotten any sort of medical help. They probably would be left in the streets still. Right, right. But is it right for them to still, you know, whatever it may be. But I'm just laying out the criticisms, and I can see where the criticism is coming from. But at the same time, they're getting medical help that they probably wouldn't. 
Um, another another volunteer went to that same facility. So this facility, just to back up a little bit, uh, was the hospice center. Uh, Mary Luden observed the following, and this is really gross, actually. Syringes being run under cold water and reused, aspirin given to those with terminal cancer, and cold baths given to everyone, um, as well as we see overcrowding. It was just, there's too many people there. Sure. Again, where was her help? It's not like she was doing this because she wanted these people to be hurt. She's probably only, they probably didn't have warm mm-hmm. water. That was part of it, is there was like enough warm water for like one bath. Yeah, so it's like, okay, you know, would you like a bath today? It's yeah. cold, but at least I'm bathing you. Right. That's true. Like, they only have so many syringes. That's terrible and disgusting. Yeah. But I mean, I guess getting treated is better than not. Like I. I... It's tough. It, it, it really is tough because I can see it both sides. However, there have been other former volunteers that have that worked under Teresa's order um, that Mother Teresa referred to the facility as the House of the Dying, which it technically is because it's a hospice center. So yeah. I, I don't know if they misquoted or misunderstood what she was saying, um, but that is one criticism. I don't see an issue with that, but okay. This next one may change your mind a little bit. Uh, after her death, a volunteer by the name of Hemley Gonzalez... Uh, basically went and built a report and described how horrible the conditions were during a visit in 2008. First, he was absolutely just shocked and appalled that they didn't vet him or any other volunteers. It was kind of they just let him in. Okay. Uh, none, he basically stated that none of them had any medical experience beforehand and were never trained upon arrival. Uh, he also said once again that he saw nuns on a regular basis reusing noodles. Noodles. <laughs> you reuse a noodle. <laughs> reusing needles. Reusing needles, and once again, uh, washing them in tap water. But this one adds another element to it. Um, he said that sometimes the cloths that they used to clean the needles were also the same ones that they used to like clean like urine and feces oh. and things like that um also cooking utensils were kind of all washed in the same area as all this other stuff like it was just kind of like a washing oh, i'm area. doing a load of spoons you got any syringes you want right, to throw in here right exactly nice. and also our you know crap filled towels and things like that oh. uh patients suffering from respiratory diseases once again, had to bathe in, in extremely cold water since there was only enough water usually for one hot bath a day. He also claims that not a single doctor or medically trained nurse was at the hospice. And uh, this is in what year? 2008. So she's gone already. She's gone. So how come the Catholic Church is not helping? So back in the 50s, okay, I'll give them a little bit of yep. a pass. They're far away. But... 2008, come on, you can wire money and oh, yeah. like that. And that's literally what we're going to go into, into next. Okay. So Sorry. Oh, you're totally <laughs> fine. Uh, just the one last thing about the conditions. This Gonzalo fellow, uh, he said it was a scene out of a World War II concentration camp. Wow. Do I believe it was that bad? Probably not. Well, yeah, because there's probably not just bodies laying all right. over the place. But, ugh. It's just crazy. Why would you compare... Sorry. Like, World War II, that was literally bringing in people to kill them. This is the complete opposite. You're bringing in people that would not get any sort of 
help bringing them in, it may not be the best, you know, care. They're treating them to the best of their ability. Right, right. And the other thing, too, is, and I hate saying this, I have a feeling that these were probably cushy first world people coming into a third world environment and trying to compare apples to apples. Now, if the conditions were this bad, I don't want to, like, give them a pass at all. But at the same time, it, it's hard to say. I don't know. They're trying. Right. That's more than a lot of people can say. Yeah. They may be, you know, not doing the best care possible, but they're doing what they're able. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So the next one is where's the money? So I know we've talked about this quite a bit already, but we'll go into it officially. In my notes, I have this next criticism stems from what we just talked about, the quality of care. Question is, where's the money? Missionary of Charities is a worldwide organization that receives millions of dollars in donations each year. So why are the conditions of some of these centers just absolutely awful? And the truth is there's really no transparency uh, to it. And when when researched, uh, CNN had could find very little information of even available about where the funds are going and things like that. It is CNN. Oh, I know, I, I know. This was this was the report that I could find. The other thing that that was interesting is when requested to interview the current head of the organization, it was declined. Like they wouldn't, the head of the organization wouldn't uh, do an interview. And when questioned about money, Sister Joan of Arc, who is the head of the children's shelter in Kolkata said the following, the funds are coming, we can feed every hungry mouth every day, it's a miracle of love. However, uh, on multiple attempts on similar uh, similar questions about funds, they got very similar, almost scripted type of answers. Most critics feel that the organization isn't held to the same high standards as most due to it, first of all, being a religious organization and getting a pass due to the Vatican's influence. I can see that. Yeah. So it just kind of goes into, where is that money going? It's going to the Vatican, I'm sure. Oh, probably. Or going into the pockets of people, you know, of higher higher ups in this organization. So it is kind of sad. It, like, if they are getting millions of dollars in donations, even though they have all these facilities, they should be able to have sub... Not sub... They should have a freaking water heater. Right. <laughs> right. Or have doctors on, you know, on site and things yeah. like that. But so, so this isn't... A knock on Mother Teresa either. They're not criticizing her. They're criticizing a facility she started. Right. But it's obviously a culture that she started. I don't think so. You don't think so? I think this is... The culture she started was, I will give absolutely everything Mm -hmm. I can to help one person. But some of this took place while she was still... I mean, we're talking... Some of these reports were in 94, and she was still running it. Well, she's running it, but at that time, she was close to death. She was... Probably not out there washing people still. You true, know what I mean? True. No, I, I get what you're saying, but I feel like some of these criticisms are good. By the way, I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> this next one is a little bit iffy. So we talked about earlier about her treating all religions the same. Okay. There's reports that they did not. Okay. Okay. So this is called Baptism of the Dying. So it was reported that Mother Teresa encouraged members of her order to baptize dying patients. Regardless of their religion. So a Muslim comes in, he's at death's door, and they're like, hey, we're going to take care of you, drip. (laughs) Right, right. Which, 
the way I see it is, if the person's not accepting the baptism, you're just sprinkling water on them. 100%. But you don't, like, I don't know what a, a the view of a Muslim is if they were to be baptized in a different religion. Like, does that cut them off from, from paradise or, you know, whatever it may be. So, um, I can see that being a big issue if, if that really affects your religion. Well, Catholics and Christians aren't, well, okay, Catholics and... Baptists or Protestants, whatever you want to call them, aren't that different. We we Mm -hmm. have very similar beliefs. I still wouldn't want to be baptized as a Catholic when I'm dying. I can see that. I can only imagine what a Muslim would feel. Right. Right. You know. But Catholics also believe that you can't go to heaven if you haven't been baptized. And that's a belief they have. Mm Mm-hmm. So, anyways, (laughs) Susan Shields, a former member of the Missionaries of Charity, explains, Sister, and this was kind of sneaky, sisters were to ask each person in danger of death if he or she wanted a ticket to heaven. An affirmative reply was meant to be the consent of baptism. The sister was then to pretend that she was just cooling the patient's head with a wet cloth. Oh my while in gosh. fact she was baptizing him, saying quietly the necessary words. Uh, secrecy was important so that it would not come to be known that Mother Teresa's sisters were baptizing Hindus and Muslims. Oh my gosh. So literally, you know, it, it sounded like they wanted some consent. But I bet you some of them were it was just like, hey, we're going to give you a little bath. You know, or... It's and, sneaky. And it, it is very sneaky, and in my point of view, it's just sprinkling water on them if they're not actually accepting it. But, like I said, I don't know what the views of the Hindus and Muslims and how that would affect their ability to move on. Yeah. So, if this is true, this is jacked A hundred percent. Yeah. I want to go back to the fact that there are many accounts that go against this criticism. And that Mother Teresa allowed people of all religions to get assistance and allowed all religions to worship in their own way. Um, So there are accounts on both sides. But if this is true, this may be one of the worst things. I will say nobody's perfect. Yeah. Everybody has their faults. This Mm -hmm. may have been her, her way of trying to, you know, garner more souls. Even if she was doing it kind of sneaky. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe she thought the ends justify the means kind of thing, right, right. which I disagree with. Mm-hmm. But I can understand, you know, her drive behind it. Yeah, well, I can see that. So the last thing that we're going to cover today is the criticism around her political views. A lot of this, a lot of her political views are what we kind of expect of a Catholic person to have. And so the secular community is like, oh, this is so wrong. So then and she's then, anti-birth control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anti-abortion, anti-contraception, and divorce. And she's being criticized by more progressive circles. Um, and basically a lot saying that she's against like the feminist movement and things like that. Now, there are some things that I, you know, I agree with in her viewpoints. And there's other things that I don't agree with in her viewpoints. Um, but let's talk about uh, you know what people disagree. So many people disagree with her. Uh, during her Nobel Peace Prize lecture in 1979, she said that the greatest destroyer of peace is abortion. Okay. Now, I'm going to go out and go out on a limb here, and I will say that I don't necessarily support abortion. I think it is a life. I do agree, or I, I do believe that everybody has their own the ability to have their own decision on that. 
Um, Except the baby. (laughs) True. But, uh, you know, if it's your right to support or not support abortion. Sure. The one thing that I have never understood is it seems like the same people that are anti-abortion are also anti-contraception. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand that either. So it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, so I don't on abortions, but you, but you want it to, you don't want to prevent the pregnancy. Well, the Catholic view on it, from what I understand, right. is if you use a condom, if you use birth control, you are effectively ending a life that could have been, which right. is an abortion. Right. Or you're playing God to that. Exactly. Um, that, that's, that would be my one criticism is it's like, if you're going to be anti-abortion, you can't be anti-contraception. So, but again, look at the religion. Uh, no, no, no. Abstinence and, and until marriage. Yes. So if you do that, then you don't have anything to worry about. Well, okay, some married people don't want to have kids just yet, so they use contraceptions. Right. And that's where their issue, I think, hits a, a stalling point. Of course. You're married. Sex is not just for procreation. Right. Enjoy each other. But You're but, married. Yeah. But some people do believe that. And I, I just don't get it. But that that's where I'm like... Okay, I get the anti-abortion, but anti-contraception, that's where... But her her beliefs are rooted in her religion. Which, fine and dandy, yeah. good for her. Yeah, exactly. I don't see where the criticism comes from that. She's practicing what she preaches. She's yeah. not in a position in government where she's forcing her views on people. She's just saying, hey, this is what I believe. I wish you believed it too. Right. Um, well, to an extent. Um, okay, she, was she forcing? So, not that she was forcing, but one thing... In 1995, she publicly advocated a no vote in the Irish referendum to end the country's constitutional ban on divorce and remarriage. Hmm. Okay. So she was trying to force that opinion on people. Um, Do I agree with divorce? No, but I believe there is a time and place for it. The Bible talks about it, just cause. Yep. 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 And there, there, I don't have the exact details, um, but it sounded like she tried to influence countries and such for anti-abortion laws as well which you know we go into a whole debate on that but we won't and for for time purposes <laughs> okay so the most the, like the biggest criticism politically that she received uh can be found in a book titled the missionary position mother nice. Teresa in theory and practice by christopher hitchens fantastic in this book he argues that Mother Teresa glorified poverty for her own ends and that it provided a justification for the preservation of institutions and beliefs that sustained widespread poverty. So what he was saying is that she didn't actually try to help people out of poverty, that her whole goal was that she needed to keep people in poverty, help them a little bit so she looked better. Or that the religion would look better. I would buy in. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Now, when you said make her look better, I would totally buy into that and say that's believable. If she had some mansion that she left the gutters and went to, or if she, you know, had a Ferrari or whatever, if she. I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. When you said to glorify the church, I can totally buy into that. Mm-hmm. Or the other thing, though, is I can also see the personal glorification because. In her head, she does all this. She could maybe be a saint or, you know, maybe look high, you know, get a higher position within the church, more funds. But what's the point in that? Like, so if you're, if that's what your goal is, what is the point in getting higher? What is the point in doing better in your organization? 
Well, I mean, for her, it's... Well, what is it for you? For me? Yeah. I don't care. Well, if you, you, Nick, mm-hmm. you were trying to get higher up in your company, yeah. your organization, what is the goal? Why do you want to get higher up in the corporation? Well, it could be for personal pride, for, you know... Money? Money doesn't money play money, any role whatsoever. It does to an extent. To an extent. So if somebody said, hey, we're going to make you the director of the company, but you're only going to make 28000 a year. I wouldn't do it. So money plays a role. To an extent. Okay, if somebody said, hey, Nick, we're going to make you the director of your company right now today, but your pay stays the same. Yeah. You gonna but, do it? but here's the thing is, is not every I feel like not every decision is always money for everybody. It's not always money, yeah. but that's a huge driving factor. But what if what if we replaced money with like spiritual gifts? You know, maybe it was more of so then if she is as religious as she says or as she lived her life to be as she claimed, she would know your reward is in heaven. These are crowns in your or these are jewels in your crown. But what I, but if we go back to this, it's saying okay, great, there are jewels in your crown. But I'm keeping people in poverty so I can help more people in poverty, so I can get more jewels in my crown, so I can have higher standing in the church, so I can have sainthood, so I can you know, it's still all personal growth rather yeah. than actually trying to help these people. I don't know. Do I, don't I agree know if with I this criticism? It. No, okay. not at all. But I'm just saying I can see where they're coming from. I just, it sounds to me like it's the hateful person like trying to whole, hate on somebody. It's kind of like the, the whole, you know, white savior kind of thing where, you know, people go on mission trips to feel better about themselves and not to help. And granted, the they come back person. and put on Facebook, look what I was doing, everything else for right. glorification of themselves. Right. I understand that. To me, it, it just doesn't seem like Mother Teresa, that, that was her driving force. When you said the church, that I could totally see that she's doing this to glorify the church. And I think that's part of it, too. I can see that. But I, I, don't, I just don't see her as being one looking for for fame, yeah. glory. But when, when somebody is this well-known, this tied into religion, there's going to be people that try to, you know, find every little thing to criticize. Uh, granted. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I, that's, you know, that's the life and the criticism of, of Mother Teresa. Um what did you learn? What, what, what's, what's your well, account? I learned a lot. I didn't know a ton about her. I mean, obviously, everybody knows about Mother Teresa. Um, I th- I honestly thought she was Indian. I thought she was yeah. born in India. She, you know, grew up there, and so that's what the people she was helping. I had no idea that her mission went as far as it did. Yeah. I did not know it was in two countries, let alone, what was it, 40? Something like that. It, it, I mean, it went from just a 13-person congregation to in having Calcutta thousands, to having... Yeah. You know, was it five thousand sisters, four hundred brothers, brothers yeah. in one hundred and twenty countries? Or was something? that what it was? One hundred and twenty. It was something a lot. crazy. It was a ton of countries. So I had no clue about any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the criticism, I, I, I know I've heard criticisms about her before. Um, nothing about what you touched on. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard criticisms about uh, like veiled racism and the, like her believing in eugenics and things like that. All of this is totally just hearsay. What I've heard in the past. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's true, not saying it's not. Just what I've heard. Yeah. Um, I did not ever hear any of these criticisms that you brought up today, though. Yeah. I thought the interesting one, what I learned is the whole process of becoming a saint. I thought that was just kind of like, oh, the Catholic Church just names this person a saint, you know. When I think of saints, I think of like St. Patrick or St. Paul or, you know, all these hella old people. Not somebody that died, you know, what was that, 20 years ago? I had no idea they were still doing saints. Yeah. I thought that 
you know, a couple hundred years ago, they're like, oh, we're full. We got enough saints. <laughs> but well, you know, they have florists. What are they going to do? You know, project managers. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Nick. <laughs> and IT professionals. I don't know if you call me a professional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I I really like this. I what really opened my eyes is just how humble she was. Um, but it's just inter- the, the criticisms were interesting. It kind of was like, well, did she do it all for the right reasons? Um, I personally think she did, but it's humanizing history. We got to find the humanizing factors. We got to find the good, the bad. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So at least she wasn't given an award from Hitler. That's true. But she was given an award from the Soviet Union. <laughs> That's true. It's still better than Hitler. Yeah. Not much better. Just a tad. Yeah. But it's, you know. She had a lot more redeemable qualities than Henry Ford anyway. So Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. Well, this was fun. I'm glad we're, we're getting back into this. For everybody, just so you know, we are changing up the format. So we will not be releasing an episode every week. Uh, we will be releasing an episode every two weeks. Um, this is just going to allow us to get give you better content. It's also going to keep us being sane <laughs> yeah, and enjoying this. And so we are glad to be back. Uh, but Cliff, where, where can they find us? Of course you guys can find us on you know Facebook, the Twitters, the Reddits, mm-hmm. exactly. the Instagrams. You can find us everywhere. Yeah. Uh, we're not... I, I personally hate social media with a passion. And I'm, I really think it's a cancer. Yeah. So I'm I'm really trying to pull myself away from it as much as possible. So you can feel free to get on our social medias. We probably won't be posting a ton, to be <laughs> honest. Best way to reach us? Email. I am happy to answer emails all day long. Please email us at humanizinghistory at gmail.com, and we will get back to you. Yeah, if it's email, it's probably going to be cliff answering, because it's if it's ever Facebook or... or uh... Instagram, I'm usually the one answering. So yeah. uh, either way, uh, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you. Um, I actually opened up a personal, uh, I don't want to say personal. I have a personal Instagram for content creating. So if you want to follow me directly, Spicy Nick Chicken on Instagram and Twitch as well. So Yeah, and we'll yeah. throw that in the show notes also so we yeah. can give Nick some love. and Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. Well, it's been great. I'm excited. We'll talk to you guys in two weeks. We're back. We're back. Have a good one, guys. Love each other. Be nice.